ITPS podcast respectfully acknowledges that the Institute for Thomas Paine Studies, part of Iona College in New Rochelle, New York, was built on the traditional land of the past, present, and future generations of Muncie Lenape in the greater Lenape Hoking territory. I'm John Winters. Welcome to the ITPS podcast. Today, I interview Michael Leroy Oberg. Michael is Distinguished Professor of History at SUNY Geneseo and the founder of the Geneseo Center for Local and Municipal History, which he directed from 2019 until 2022. He's published multiple books on indigenous history as well as early American history. He's also written a textbook, Native America, A History, and has worked as a historical consultant for Native communities in New York and North Carolina, as well as for the Indian Resources Section of the United States Department of Justice. In this episode, we focus on New York history, beginning with Michael's work on the digital mapping project Chenesio, that's spelled C-H-E-N-U-S-S-I-O, which catalogs the Native American history of Livingston County in New York State. Our conversation then moves on to the power of local history to inform and inspire we talk about the role of students in local history projects like Geneseo, the indigenous history and politics of his home campus of SUNY Geneseo, and the incredible potential for public history projects throughout the state because of New York's unique legal approach to public history. You can learn more about Michael at his website, michaelleroyoberg.com, or on social media at Native Am Text. Michael. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You are a senior scholar in the field of Native American and early American history. In addition to that, you're also a public historian in many respects. Your personal website, you have a blog which touches on historical topics. It touches on political issues, both New York as well as Seneca country, uh, really offering extraordinarily important and I think valuable perspective on on these various issues. Uh, your historiography lists for me as an historian are wonderfully valuable to graduate students, to professional historians, as well as museum professionals who are very interested in learning more about new and cutting edge research on indigenous history and indigenous studies. So in general, you do a lot of things that are already quite public, uh, perhaps a lot more than, say, your traditional academic historian. But I wanted to focus our attention today on one project in particular, your digital history project, Chenesio, the Indigenous History of Livingston County. So if you wouldn't mind, please just give us an idea of, well, what the Chenesio project is and your inspiration, the, the origins of this particular project. Right. Well, thanks for all those kind words about the, the work I've done. Um, I probably, you know, five, 10 years ago, John, I would have been one of those too many, too numerous numbers of, of academic historians who tend to kind of poo-poo what public historians do and mm. sort of look down on that entire field. Mm. Um, I'm, you know, a, a, a deep dive convert now. I teach at a college in Western New York called SUNY Geneseo. Probably no SUNY school, State University of New York school, is more closely connected geographically to an indigenous site. That that's the, the village complex that, that begins to appear in the in the 17th century Jesuit re relations. These Jesuit documents chronicling the the missionaries' interactions with Indians in the 17th century. So Geneseo Seneca is 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 a, is a community. We do nothing 
on our campus about that history. People who drive through Livingston County, Livingston County is, you know, Genesee is about 30 miles south of Rochester, New York, for those who are outside of the area listening to this. But generally, people don't know the history of the region. So what we, what we did with the Geneseo Project was I applied for a grant from the Rochester Area Community Foundation, which is, is very generous in terms of, of, of encouraging local history and trying to enrich the cultural life of, of um, Western New York, uh, Monroe County, where Rochester is located and the surrounding counties. And they gave us the money to essentially put some students to work on, on collecting all the material they could find on the indigenous history of Livingston County and the Genesee of Senecas. I was able to hire four students and with the help of a, my colleague in art history, um, Ala Meiselev. And Ala is, is responsible for all the wonderful visuals on the website. She's the person who knows how to do the, the computer stuff, which I, I just, I, I don't. I'm good at coming up with the idea, but not, not, <laughs> not in the actual execution. And so we sent the students out, we collected sites, we took pictures of the sites. I had the students write up brief histories of the, the different locations. And we worked on a sort of an overview and tried to get kind of create a one-stop shop for teachers, for students, for people passing through the county on Interstate 390 or any of the other roads cutting through the thing. Where, you know, if you're bored and sitting in the car and you pull out your phone, you find this website and you can start looking at sites that you're passing through. We had about $10,000 for this grant, so we didn't accomplish nearly as much as we wanted to. And I think there's a lot of room for growth further on. Um, I think there's room for geographic growth, including more than Livingston County, but also in terms of doing much more in terms of working with uh, indigenous communities, Seneca Nation of Indians, uh, the Tonawanda um, Seneca Nation. Mm both sort of heirs to the, the, the Senecas who occupied this region through early the 1830s when they were finally driven out. So our goal is to try to bring to the awareness of people in Livingston County the history of this region, which they, they just don't know. Again, my, my campus, Geneseo, is, you know, literally stands on the grounds of this town and its surrounding area. You could trip on our campus and fall down the hill and, and roll into um, Littlebeardstown, another important Seneca town, was mm -hmm. part of this complex. Uh, our town was founded by men invested in the Ogden Land Company. It was one of the big speculative ventures that acquired Seneca land beginning in the early 19th century. So this was sort of our, our entree into trying to bring to the public a history that they don't otherwise get exposed to. It's not part of the New York State curriculum. It's not something that they could pick up through other media. They could drive by some of the historical markers and miss them. So we wanted to try, just try to get people to understand that as much as we can. Local history isn't just, you know, in, in Western East, not just the abolitionist movement. It's not just the women's movement. There, there is a history of, of, of untold stories that I think are great significance for understanding how Livingston County and the surrounding counties as well came to be. And, you know, the coolest thing about it was how psyched many of the local historians and historical sites were to help with this. Mm -hmm. that, that the coolest thing about this Geneseo thing is that when we founded the Geneseo, you know, I helped found the, the Geneseo Center for Local Municipal History back in um, the fall of 2018, there was some skepticism. I got a small grant to have a get-together on campus in, in February of 2019. We had about 80 people, 80 town historians show up from around the region, not just Livingston County, but a fairly wide swath of Western New York. Wow. And they were excited. And, and the whole premise here 
I didn't know this a couple years ago, but in 1919, New York State passed a law requiring every municipality from the largest metropolis to the smallest crossroad to have an official government-appointed historian. That, with this vast network of small historical societies, which are run really fantastically well Mm. on very thin resources. You have this huge infrastructure for local history. And in general, very few New Yorkers know that. There's, there's a marker in Rochester. My wife kind of gave me the idea for this, but there's a, there's a park near School 33 in Rochester where there used to be a baseball stadium a long time ago. Babe Ruth played there. Babe Ruth was, is the only person ever to have hit a home run out of the stadium over the right field bleachers. And the stadium's long gone. It's just a play field. And you tell these kids who live there, and the first thing they said was like, you know, who the hell's Babe Ruth? But, <laughs> you know, you, you have this connection to place. And I think one of the things that I hope the Geneseo Center will do is that show, show that, that everyone in these towns, all of us, have a role in history. We all play a role in shaping the stories that, that make up our lives. And Geneseo, this Geneseo project is just one small part of that initiative. That's fascinating. And, you know, that, that connectivity, that, well, the possibility for connectivity of this Geneseo project for you, for the university, reaching out to these various historical sites, but also the indigenous communities and their historical and cultural sites, seems to offer an environment where projects that can really touch everybody, right? That's, That's kind of a dramatic way to put this, but that can really touch everybody is sort of right at our fingertips. And this may be, you know, this Geneseo, as you mentioned, was an entree to this. I'm I'm very curious what you think about where do you think this project could go? Or perhaps what do you think needs to happen in order to bind all of these various historical sites together, and particularly in bringing the indigenous communities and the indigenous cultural heritage sites and museums on board in this project? Well, the, the latter part of your question, John, that, that, that can be a challenge. I work for an agency, the state of New York, which has a, a, a long and fraught relationship with indigenous nations. And I think we have to be aware of that wherever we go. I, you know, like you said at the outset, I, I, I'm, I'm trained as a colonial historian. I do Native American history, but I was a colonialist, right? I, I didn't have to know the local story. And I think one of the things that this whole process has been has been very humbling and has has taught me the wealth of of knowledge that's out there in the community. And I find just by reaching out and talking and listening, we can learn a lot. Here's the thing. I mean, I, I think people are fascinated by local history. They, they want to know that they are connected to stories of interest. So everyone we've shown this project to, and everyone we've described our, our, our upcoming projects and projects we hope to get funded down the road, they're, they're incredibly enthusiastic about this work. People who, in, in my circle of friends, who, who could care less about history will sometimes kind of, when I'll tell them the story, they'll kind of thump me on the chest and say, see, this is the kind of stuff historians should do. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, okay, right on. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to do that. And I think the way to reach a bigger audience, this is something we're hoping to do mm-hmm. down the road, 
is take advantage of technology. And, and this requires a lot of learning on my part. Um, we're going to have to find people who can help us with this work. The students we recruit for this work are amazing because so much of this technology is, is sort of intuitive to them. They're, they're really good at it. They think of it. They're, they're, they're good at the design and all that kind of stuff. But what we'd like to do is really expand this, this awareness of local history statewide. So, you know, there's, there's ways to do that, right? One is, is the phone that we all carry around with us, mm-hmm. right? Uh, those phones have geographic trackers on them, and you can, you can configure them so that they ping when you hit a certain historic site. And up, up it comes, mm-hmm. right? You, you, you can have the historical marker. But if you're familiar with, I mean, I know I, not all your listeners will be familiar with this, but, but you've been in New York, so you, you may have some of this. But New Yorkers are familiar with these, these famous blue and yellow, blue and orange historic markers, these big metal plaques that are all over the state. And, and there's a group called the Pomeroy Foundation based in Syracuse, which is doing some f- fantastic work installing new historic markers around the state. Those markers, however wonderful they are, they have fewer characters, space for fewer characters than, than, than a tweet by far. So you can't put much in there. You have to be very judicious. Well, a lot of research goes into creating these markers. And what I would love to have happen is to have, have so you're, you're driving long ping, up comes the, the sign, you can read the marker, you can read the backstory, you can see graphics, you can see images, you can see maps, you can, you can have a whole story fleshed out right in front of you, right? So I walk by two of these markers, just when I, I can make a trip around the block here where I live. They're all over the place. And I think that enriching people's knowledge of history, I think it's just wonderful that they're into it. They're excited about it. They love to be connected to the story. But more than that, I think, you know, look, whatever, <laughs> whatever one's politics are, I, I think many of your listeners would agree with me that there's a lot of people that feel they're sort of disconnected from their communities or from larger forces in society. Mm. They may feel powerless. I mean, I have friends on the right and friends on the left who feel that way. Well, what this history can do, I think, is it can invest us in this community, can connect us to this community and tie us in. So I would love to expand this project. Um, Joe Stallman, who directs the Seneca Nation Museum, was a fantastic assistance in this project. Very, very generous in showing some of uh, some, some his collections. Mm. Curators of the Rochester Museum of Science Center, which, which is sort of an old school anthropology museum, which has all kinds of collections, some of which they, they probably shouldn't have, were extremely helpful as well. So Everyone out there, we've met, no one's ever said, no, we're not going to help you. No one's ever said, oh, don't include our stuff in this project. Everyone's really psyched to do it. And I think that's, that's the exciting thing about it is that New Yorkers love their history. They, they want to be connected to the past. I'm willing to bet it's broader than New York. They want to be part of the story. They will eat it up. And we feel that we're providing a need that's out there. And it's, it's, it's so unfortunate because we get students come into our college and, and you've, you've met these kids too, I'm sure. Many of, and many of your listeners have as well, where you get these kids who hate history. They say they hate history. Yeah. They don't hate history. They've never been exposed to it. Never been exposed to it in the way we're going to expose to it, them to it. And I think that's the cool thing about it. There's so much potential here. And New York is unique in that we have this infrastructure of all these local historians. Some of them are really good. Some of them are highly professional. Some of them, you know, not so much, just like in any line of work, right? Some of them are, are, they have energy that I wish I could bottle. Some of them are as apathetic as that student in the back row of the seats. Mm. Again, 
just like any line of work. Sometimes they, they have views of history that are, are narrower than I would like. And we hope to broaden those by talking about indigenous history and so on. Right. Sometimes they're way ahead of me in terms of what they know about the stories that their towns can tell. And I think that's that's the exciting thing about it, that there's there's so much stuff going on at the local level that that none of us know about. And, you know, I, I, I do this exercise with my students the first day of class um, in some of my classes, and I'll say, OK, so what, what's the most important historic event that's taking place in your life? And, they'll, you know, they'll they'll scratch their heads and, you know, they'll say 9-11, even though most of them now have been born after right. 9-11 or, or, you know, Obama's presidency or the Supreme Court recognizing the right to gay marriage or whatever the case may be. They'll think about it and I'll just listen for a while, make some things on the board and then I'll ask them, okay, what's the most important event that's happened in your life? And it's almost the exact same question. And they kind of think I've asked the same question and I'll say, you know, what, what is, what is the event that's happened in your life after which, everything was changed, right? Was it a death in the family? Was it something horrible you witnessed on the corner, a car crash? Was it a first kiss, a, a parent's divorce? What is the event, the historic event that made you who or what you are today? And when we start thinking of events in those sorts of ways, the, the things that shape us as, as individuals and members of a community, I think we have a much broader and for many people, a much more interesting understanding of history and by collecting these these small stories you know of wh why, why is my neighborhood the way it is right I, I live in Brighton which is a suburb of Rochester which for for men you know it's, it's still kind of considered the Jewish suburb in Rochester it has you know so it has a significant Orthodox population unlike other suburbs in Rochester so how did this happen why did why did this town develop this way mm. those sorts of local stories I think really matter to people that live in them right Part of our town was built by Kodak. Kodak was <laughs> was a big employer in, in, in Rochester. Um, built housing for its employees, and those houses included what are called restricted covenants, right, where they wouldn't sell to people who were African-American. Our students worked with neighborhood associations to sort of undertake a campaign, essentially, where the people in these towns went to the town board and purged those restricted covenants from the deeds to their property, mm. right? In other words, kind of this repudiation of the racist past in this town. How cool is that? That's, that's where local history can really make some change and, 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 and work for good. Yeah, that's wonderful. And that's, I mean, that's precisely it. That's the power of local history. That's the, can we say, value of local history and that it does touch us personally and it makes us, all of us, aware of our own town's history, where we come from, where we're living now, but also creates those personal connections that sometimes spiritual, sometimes emotional, sometimes often intellectual connections to these things that matter so much to our day-to-day -day lives, even if we don't know they existed in the first place. So with so much, I suppose, of with so much of that to latch onto in your creation of the Chenisieu Project, how did you actually make those choices? You know, what stories did you decide to tell and yeah. how did you limit that list well the, the, the limit was we ran out of money um oh. <laughs> uh, but but here's what we started right we started out with just putting together a directory or a list of all the state historic markers in the site in in, in the county mm. so that was sort of the the baseline template and the students went out and took pictures of those markers and then they did some research on the background, and many of these markers are, are pretty old. Some of them had had problematic and dated language, but they 
they went through them and they did the research and they sort of filled in the blanks. I helped them where, where they needed the help, but they, they did a lot of the heavy lifting. And that was our starting point. And then I sent them out to talk to people. And, you know, there were some town historians who, there's, you know, our Geneseo town historian did, didn't, didn't respond. The students couldn't get a hold of him. Hmm. But, but other town historians sat down with them, shared with, what, shared with them what they had, told us what they knew. And that expanded the list of sites that we could include on the website, right? So, so more things to, to, you know, more markers and more monuments and things like that. So just by talking, sending the students out to talk with town historians, we, we included all this information. And an original plan for this website was to have video of, of all these interviews with the town historians. Mm-hmm. That, that ended up being something we had to set aside. Um, we still have all that stuff stored, and we would like to get out and interview everyone to include that stuff. But really, we just kept sort of, you know, let's talk talk to so-and-so. And a student went out, and they, they, they drove around, and the, bless their hearts, they went out and talked to these these town historians. And town historians told them, well, you know, I've heard this along here, and, and I've heard this happen there. And, and we just kept going. And it just kept it just kept spiraling. In fact, there's this one place I haven't got to yet, but a um, like a, a gun club in um, Mount Morris, where the the proprietor of this gun club has just got some stuff up on the walls that he's collected from fields around his, his property. I was contacted by a fantastic woman who does sort of as a hobby. She takes old photographs and, and digitally cleans them up. Hmm. And she goes, meet me at the, the Quickly's gas station at, at exit nine off of 390. And I thought, well, okay, this is not normally where... Where, where historians meet, but we met. And it's, it's one of these gas stations where it's got like a, you know, snack bar and a bathrooms and, you know, that kind of stuff. And she's taken some of these pictures, including of a, of an, of a Seneca family that lived along um, Kinesis Lake, which is one of, some people consider one of the Finger Lakes in, in, in Western New York. And had these blown up and working with the proprietors of this, this service station had put these posters up in the entryways. So if you've got your eyes open when you walk in to go to the bathroom at this gas station, you'll see Seneca history wow. in, from Livingston County as you move through. So just so many people volunteering so much information. It was really kind of fun hearing some of these stories. Um, the Livingston County Historical Society Museum, which is just stone's throw from the campus, they actually have the big tree it's a big oak tree, after which the 1797 Treaty of Big Tree is named. That was a treaty that essentially opened all of western New York from the Genesee River westward to White Settlement, with the exception of 11 Seneca reservations. There are four of those reservations left today. Hmm. So that, that treaty was negotiated right in Geneseo, right in the, the parking lot of our, our campus, the tree has been preserved all these years in the Livingston County Historical Site. Got this grant, surprisingly large grant, to preserve this, you know, it's, it's probably six, eight feet across the trunk of this big oak, you know, and, and, and so they've got it right in the museum. So it's just fantastic the amount of stuff that's out there. If we had more time and the students had more time and we had more money where I could pay the students, mm-hmm. I think we could have we could have done a, a lot of work. And and I wanna I wanna say something about paying students because there are lots of, you know, students quite commonly do internships and in the field of public history, students are almost expected to do this kind of museum work. I have found, and and I don't think this is any great revelation here, but most, many students can't do an internship. 
right? In our class, at our school, right, it's about 150 hours for three credits. To do that unpaid is very, very hard for all but pretty comfortable students. Mm-hmm. So one one reason why we've been so eager to obtain funding at the Geneseo Center for Local Municipal History is to to pay students, right? The money, all almost all of it goes to pay students the equivalent of minimum wage to do these 150 hours of work. And that's that's our goal. We want these internships to be open to students who, you know, otherwise would have to work a wage paying job during the summer, right? So so these students so so basically any student can afford to do these internships who who could afford to take a minimum wage job during the summer. I wish we could pay more, but that we're paying at all I think is is a product of a lot of hard work that we're we're pretty proud of. On on that topic, um, you know, I can't help but think of your blog post from from a couple of years ago. The uh, your territorial acknowledgement is is not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that tied to you know you you have a, a section of that blog post where you're talking about universities, SUNY wide, but also of course everywhere throughout the country who do the land acknowledgement at the beginning of a public events at the beginning of whatever it is. And it is this recognition of, you know, we are on the territory and we acknowledge uh, the fact that the indigenous forebears uh, were here and this is why we are here today. But that is often where things end. Yeah. For me, that really struck me, particularly in the development of this podcast. You know, I, I issue a land acknowledgement in the beginning of this podcast for the ITPS and the Lenape Hoking territory. And it really got me thinking, what is what is enough? So when we're thinking about Geneseo, we're thinking about this digital project, when we're thinking about paying students to do this, but also thinking about inviting indigenous perspectives to participate in these kinds of projects. You mentioned uh, Dr. Stallman at the Seneca Iroquois National Museum. Where do you see that relationship going? What what would be your kind of ideal future for the Chenoseo project with local history, with student participation, with indigenous student participation, and then ultimately indigenous community participation? I, I've been arguing for quite a while in that blog post you mentioned is, is part of that argument that Geneseo needs to do more, um, not just on moral and ethical grounds, but given our connection to the region and where we sit as a campus. I mean, there, there's a mansion at the end of Main Street in Geneseo, which is the Wadsworth Mansion. The Wadsworth family was big investors in, in the Ogden Land Company. These, this is a family whose wealth comes to a great extent as a product of indigenous dispossession. And, and so there's, we, we do need to do more. We, we just had commencement this past Saturday. Um, we're, we're in the middle of May as we record this. And we read those acknowledgments in a room where there's no Native American people. I would love to see Native American faculty. I would love to see Native American students at Geneseo, and I've been pushing for that for a long time. We're at a college built on what was once indigenous land. I would love to see our connection to those communities and our connection to that history be something that's much more explicit, a part of Geneseo's mission. Mm. 2026, as many of us know, is the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. And the Geneseo Center, we, we have a big grant project working on, on that history of American independence. 2026 is, is also the bicentennial of the final treaties, which dispossessed the Senecas of their lands in the Genesee River Valley, which flows right through the county just below the campus. That, that, that history is one that, that, again, many people in the county don't know anything about. 
Um, that, that 1826 treaty was never ratified by the United States Senate. So it was never approved under the terms of federal law that made transactions involving Indian land legal. So I think there's some, some very provocative questions we ought to talk about. Mm-hmm. We do our territorial acknowledgement, and, and I think your, your question sort of nailed the, the fundamental problem. We, we, we give those acknowledgements in rooms where there are no Native American people. I think what our college needs to do and what I would like to have the Geneseo Center help make that happen is really make Native American history part of the broader story of, of local history. When we talk of local history, it's quite often the story of, of white people, right? The abolitionists or George Washington passing through town, famous people touring through the area. We have the re- records and we have the materials to tell a story from, the, from looking at the history from, from the bottom up, whether that's indigenous people, whether that's enslaved people or fugitive slaves, whether it's the the Italians who came to Livingston County to work on the salt mines who were culturally and, and in a sense, religiously suspect, right, as Catholics in, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. They're all people who contributed to make this place what it is. And I think until we include all those voices, we're, we're not doing our job in really conveying the history of the region. Do you think then that historians perhaps have a responsibility to not only tell these stories, but engage with the public so that we all can can benefit from them and learn from them. Yeah. You know, you you, you listen to the, the political discourse going on in the country about CRT and about, you know, political correctness and, and, and teachers and historians and academics sort of corrupting the minds of the young. Look, it's my belief, we're, we're all at the end of the day, teachers, historians, we're all teachers. And if I didn't believe I could I could convince a, a room full of 30 18 to 22 year olds that, that that history matters. There, there would really be no point in getting out of bed that morning. And I, I very, very firmly believe that I can if you give me a chance in front of any audience, no matter how hostile they may be to academia or to critical race theory or whatever we're talking about here. I'm willing to bet you that I can, tr- I can convince them of, its, of the importance of this past. And again, if I didn't believe that, there'd be no point in doing what we're doing. Yeah, we, we absolutely have to engage. This need not be confrontational. It need not be a fight. We can talk and reason. And, and you know, the, the, one of the beautiful things about Haudenosaunee culture, Iroquois culture in Livingston County, right, is this idea that people with good minds can put their heads together and, and, and reach consensus mm-hmm. on issues of, of great divisiveness. History can be celebratory. History can be a, you know, it can, it can tell familiar stories. It can connect, you know, it can sort of say, you know, look, we're, we're not some small rural county in the center of, of, of New York. We, we matter, right? George Washington passed through. Daniel Shays was buried in, in Livingston County. We can, we, can, we can do that connection to the story. That's great. But most of us who are historians, we, we come to a subject out of a sense that something's wrong. Right where where the pre- prevailing explanations of of this or that subject aren't coherent or persuasive, that huge swaths of people, maybe people that look like the historian in question, aren't represented in the story, or whatever the case may be, we we come to it out of sense that there's something wrong and something incorrect, or that we can add something to. 
history is always in a process of being revised. And, and I think local history can and ought to be revised and well. And again, the town historians, they're way ahead of us on this project. You know, the, the Greece Historical Society, Greece is a suburb of Rochester, has a huge grant to look at the work of an architect named Thomas W. Boyd. I know about this because I live in a house designed by Thomas Boyd, the first black architect in Rochester, who designed two in particular really gorgeous buildings in Rochester, but also tons of houses. And his houses have a kind of a cool, groovy look to them. Black architect. No one knew this was this story was here. You, know, you too, right? Many of your listeners, we, we have historian friends who they do their research and, and they have a relatively light teaching load. And all they do is their, their narrow research. And, you know, you'll, you'll write an academic book. And, and I've done this too, that what, you know, 100 people buy, um, almost no one reads, you know, we'll write our scholarly articles that, you know, my dad will read, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my wife won't read them. She doesn't care. You know, no one cares about, about some of the stuff we do. And I can put a post on that blog and within a couple of days, it'll get many more hits and views than anything I've written for a scholarly journal. Mm. And I, I think that, look, history matters. History connects us to where we are in time and place. In addition to all the things we say about it being a discipline and having skills, we absolutely must engage. Michael, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. It was, it was a true pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, John. I think there's so much more we could have we could have covered. And this is one of these topics where, you know, I could start spinning out story after story <laughs> of this local history. There is so much interesting stuff going on. So it's it's a pleasure. Again, we, we're, we're still working on getting a website up for the Geneseo Center for Local Municipal History. We're still getting a Twitter account up. We were able to get a big grant. So we've hired a director, Dr. Joel Helfrich. It's, it's more than a one person job. And I'll keep promoting stuff on my Twitter feed that we're doing coming down the road. And I think the future looks very bright for local history. It certainly does. And I know myself and all of the listeners will watch this eagerly to see what comes next. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, John. That's all for today. I'll see you next time.